supporting and tuning into the strange tonic podcast as always we are glad to have you and appreciate the support you so lovingly give us on this recording we are once again using the music by our friends pan astral off of their most current recent album suburban blues this tune is when summer comes because i don't know about you guys but if you're out here in seattle it was nearly 80 degrees today Summer's almost here, even though it'll rain over the weekend. But summer is almost here, and I want it to be here, so let's make it be here. Also, in Pan-Astral news, yes, I have been announcing in recent podcasts that Pan-Astral is playing a special benefit concert on June 1st at Globe Hall in Denver. We found out this week from my friend Tad, who plays in Pan-Astral, that they're playing with their friends Flowbots and Lotus. No offense to Lotus because I just haven't heard of you guys, but I've been following Flowbots for years and they are amazing. So I'm sure Lotus is also a great group and it benefits a great cause in the Denver arts community. So if you can make it out, actually make sure you make it out if you're in the Denver area to Globe Hall on June 1st to check out Pan Astral. If you need any more information, check out panastral.com. As always, check out Pan Astral on panastral.com, Pan Astral iTunes, Pan Astral on Bandcamp, Pan Astral on SoundCloud, and Pan Astral has a pretty good page actually on YouTube. So support them because they're our friends and make great music as well. Uh, I'm all over the place in this podcast, so I'm trying to kind of limit it to a short segment of it. And um, are you a Bernie Sanders fan? Do you not like Bernie Sanders? Whatever the case, please hit us up at feedback at strangetonic.com because we have a very special Bernie episode coming up. But with that said, this episode, uh, I try and stay on topic. And I do poorly. Michelle tries to keep me on topic and does her best, but uh, I don't think there's really much to do. Hope you enjoy. Be well. Be healthy. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean, where it's just like, oh, that makes me think of this other random thing. Because all this stuff happens and keeps happening and won't mm-hmm. stop happening because why would it? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's I feel like it's been a weird like 
even in the last like year or two, <laughs> this last like two weeks or so have been a particularly weird week as far as like news goes. Oh, I politics. like my, I think you and my friend Ben both sent me like texts about uh, Hannity being revealed as Michael Cohen's secret uh, <laughs> client. <laughs> and I was like, I saw that on Twitter. I assumed it was satire. Like it can't be real. I remember messaging you. What did I say? I said like, "Oh snap!" And you're like, "Oh, I thought that was fake." I'm like, oh, man, it's, this, is, <laughs> this is not a joke. This is not a drill. This is real. <laughs> and then it just got worse because then you're going, "Oh, well, he's like not only I think he's had Cohen on, or at least like quoted Cohen to defend Trump, uh-huh. but it was revealed that." His like finance expert that he has on is his personal like financial advisor or like works for the firm where he's a partner at the firm where Hannity does like his finances. Oh yeah, and the fact that he is a part of all these shell companies that exist to buy up foreclosures. Oh god. And oh yeah, he defended in an interview when he had Ben Carson on, who's you know, obviously the HUD chief. Um, he defended his record and said he's done a great job. When I believe, uh, I don't know if it's just Hanny or if it's just the Shell Company, but something like they've gotten like five million dollars in HUD funds or loans mm-hmm. or something. It's like, uh, if you told me and this was a joke, like- I wouldn't believe you, except for Sean Hanny's that sleazy. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, I um I had not heard those other two things about his, his like television show financial expert advice person is actually like he's a client of his. Like he is. I, I hadn't heard that. Uh, oh, Sean Hannity. And yes, yeah, I understand no. he's not a journalist, but he cloaks himself in like the you know moral rectitude that he isn't like a journalist. I think he's even used that stupid term like citizen journalist before, which is like one of the most moronic things to call yourself. Yeah. Yeah. He does. He does play himself to have some level of honesty and for, you know, forthrightness. And it's like, Oh, it's an even bigger lie than we thought. <laughs> and no one cares his, uh, well, not yeah. no one, but Fox news is like, so what uh, did he, well, they didn't. They sort of mildly cared when they had some sexual predators working there, and it got revealed, and it cost them sponsorships. They sent Ingram on a uh, vacation when she tried to bully a and threaten a high school student, and then in return got. Um, you cut out quite a bit there. Okay. Would it, if you could repeat the last like thirty seconds for <laughs> me. Well, I was just talking about how. You know, Laura Ingram got pushed off the air for briefly because she tried to threaten and bully and demean a 17-year-old young man. And oh, one she, of the Parkland students. Yeah. yeah. And when she you know, <laughs> faced a backlash over that, because, again, don't try and out-internet high school students. Uh, <laughs> any, like, that includes us, but <clears throat> especially middle-aged people. Um, and... But, you know, I, what I was saying is I think Hannity is still the highest rated program on Fox News now that is it? O'Reilly has been relegated to his. Uh, again, I, I just think that I'm not saying podcasts are bad. Obviously, we love podcasts, but we know O'Reilly hates them. So the fact that all he can do is podcast and podcast. blog is pretty hilarious. That, that um, your Laura Ingram uh, comments reminded me on speaking of podcasts, uh, 
it was either Pod Save America or Love It or Leave It in the last like two weeks or so. And they had two other Parkland students at this. Uh, it was a live show in front of an audience. And um, Probably love they it or talked leave it about then, right? Because I think well, he does a lot more Pod's, live stuff. He does a lot more live stuff. So that's that's why I'm thinking that's probably what it was. <laughs> but Pod Save America, they've, they've done some mini tours this spring. So okay. they've also done some live shows. So I'm, I'm probably just getting them all. They're all meshing into one big thing, you know? It is a uh, wonderful Um, media network they have there. It's, yeah, it's true. And uh, so they had two, two other Parkland students, um, not, um, not the one that Laura Ingram went after, David but two, (laughs) yes, uh, but two of the other students. And they, they asked very generally about that. Like, you know, you guys kind of rallied around um, him after all of these, uh, you know, this, tweet storm happened and you know what how did you guys talk about that and they said he he handled it really well on his own in the sense that he was like well this is bullshit you know (laughs) this is so ridiculous (laughs) some like middle-aged blonde lady from fox news that's you know calling me names on the internet and uh they're like you know what let's uh let's uh show her who's boss and like bring it around and that's when they started their own uh, kind of tweet response of not degradating her and calling her names, but mm-hmm. asking for sponsors to pull out yep. and stuff. And so you're absolutely right. Like you can't, you cannot out internet this younger generation because they're going to use it smarter, better, faster. What I actually found odd was I read like a tweet where actually it was Hog calling out her specific advertisers during her show, and mm-hmm. one of them is a company called Mayfair, and I still don't really know what they do. Oh, well, that's not good if you can't figure out what they do. <laughs> oh, I haven't bothered to look because I don't really care. Uh, okay, okay. <clears throat> I thought you meant like you go to their website and it's just like profit. Well, I should. You know, <laughs> trading. We got a new phone <laughs> system at work and it was like Mayfair. It's like, I don't, or Wayfair is what it is, excuse me. And I'm going, I don't know what this is. And then I keep getting emails from like, I'm your new account representative. Like, I don't know what you do or why you're calling me, but I did find the timing very odd. That it was right around the time that it was no, it was seriously like that within a couple of days, maybe even the same hmm. like couple of days. Like it was just like I wonder if they're doing this on purpose. And mm-hmm. I'm so busy, I just don't have time to pick up the phone and talk to someone who is calling to just generally be like, "So what do you do? Stuff? What do you do?" <laughs> so I've just been ignoring him um, and his emails because those emails where it's like, "Hi, like person, I don't know who you are. Please tell me who you are." I'm like, uh, no, go away. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, it's it's been pretty cool to see that. And I don't know if you saw. Speaking of David Hogg and getting attacked, which how silly is that? You're, they're attacking yeah. children. I mean, not saying in this they are seventeen, like young man, but like seventeen's pretty young, and they're still in high school. They're still learning, and right. you know, not only that. They were at a school where a mass shooting happened. So mm-hmm. cool. But uh, our, <laughs> I saw that his podcast is one of the more popular ones, uh, Ben Shapiro. Shapiro. I'm going to keep saying it both ways because I just don't care. <laughs> um, he posted something on the Daily Wire that was saying, like, oh, is this, in this, is this the like, face of your movement? Or is this like just a 17-year-old who's trying to help things? And it just shows him cursing and saying negative things about the NRA in like a, in a vulgar way, mm-hmm. which 
I said some of my more awful, vile things when I was a 16 and 17 and 18 year old. And it wasn't, <laughs> they were much worse than what he was saying. Mm -hmm. But his was just saying like fucking shit and like being insulting of the NRA in general, not like he wasn't threatening anybody. Right. And just this effort to suggest that David Hogg is like the manifestation or like the hero of the gun control movement like no that's not really the case you guys are just kind of <laughs> saying the left all loves this guy let's tear him down like right no i, I <laughs> he's a he's a young man i don't agree with everything he says and i've been pro-gun reform for a while mm -hmm. but i'm also not in favor of everyone piling on him which, yeah. again, we're, like, probably three months too late on this conversation, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it is what it is, but <laughs> I would agree with you. I've, it, it just feels like they're um, really, really grasping at straws there by going after him in particular, um, or even just any of the more vocal Parkland students. It's like... That's how weak your argument is, is you have nothing better to do than than, uh, than attack a bunch of 17-year-olds that are masked, you know, school shooting survivors. That's that's really all you got? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crap. I understand attacking, like, maybe celebrities who are saying things like the NRA is a terrorist organization or, you know, stuff like that, where if you're not in favor of gun control, you're, you're condoning mass murder. I mm -hmm. understand going after that hysteria, but that's not been within the you know vernacular of those students. So to try and put it there just seems silly. And then there's what our friends at NRA TV have been doing. Completely apocalyptic. Like, they're coming for your guns and your freedom, and they hate your president, and they don't want you to protect your family. Like, whoa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a little insane there. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't see how anybody could watch that and not only stomach it, but actually believe it. It's uh, it's pretty absurd, I think. It's one of these things where I think there's just a lot of, you know, in this age of, you know, Juan Williams discussed in his book a few years ago, where you can only have ecosystems that are inhabited by people that agree. And it's gotten mm -hmm. so bad that, like, you know, if you go, were to go to, say, foxnews.com, you'd have people who all agree with Fox News arguing with each other over, like, specific, like, ideologies. And then then they, you know, fracture off into smaller websites where they can go and be even more in agreement. But even from there, there's still agreements. So then they can go to these even smaller, weirder sites mm -hmm. where they can go and just all agree with each other. And it's, like, rather than kind of being... You know, cognizant of the fact that they're having to flee to smaller and smaller platforms and find fewer and fewer people to validate their own position. Mm -hmm. They're just hearing it as, you know, we've talked about this before, the uh, you know, confirmation bias overload where, mm -hmm. well, these people agree with me, so therefore everyone agrees with me and you, you should agree with me. What? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're right and everybody else is wrong. And that's a fun way to <laughs> live. And yeah. as I said, I've taken us way into the weeds. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally fine. It's going to happen every now and then. <laughs>
but is there <laughs> because there's so much crap to discuss like what would you because i think we should save because i still have like eight hours left in that bernie book to listen to <laughs> did i listen to the right bernie book by the way <laughs> are you listening to our revolution no, he had a newer one come out oh, last okay. year. So I'm I just I just listened to the wrong one. <laughs> Maybe I should listen to that one or, or just stop this one because like uh, <laughs> I can't stop complaining about it. Is it too much for you? <laughs> well, it's it's the same thing that he said in the campaign trail, uh-huh. repeated ad nauseum it within the book multiple times. Yeah, and when like my main issue with him, which obviously we'll get into later, is. Well, I, I never got anything from him much more than platitudes, some humble bragging, and some like uh, you know, kind of self righteous talk. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of all the book is. Plus, the book, the first part of it is read by Bernie Sanders, and it includes like minutes long segments of his speeches. You're like, I've heard this. Why is oh, this really? in here? And the second part is read by Mark Ruffalo. And at first you're like, okay, this is good. But it got to the point where I was coming home last week and complaining about it to Julia and like, you know, millionaires and billionaires. Like just do like, I'd be quoting like him just randomly in his voice. And now (laughs) with Mark Ruffalo, I'm about like maybe five hours in and I'm hearing Mark Ruffalo, like I'm hearing Bernie Sanders while Mark Ruffalo reads. Are you? <laughs> like, uh, uh, like, it, I, I worry that because I don't, I never had like any sort of antipathy towards Bernie Sanders or anything, but I worry that I'm just getting upset and like annoyed because it's so long, and because it's the audio book and his voice is so distinct, yeah, that it just will not go away. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I could see that. So me having not listened to that book and i instead listened to the audiobook for his newer one which is like a, i think it's called guide to a revolution or okay. a revolution which i i take argument against even that title because everything <laughs> in that book is also um ad nauseum what he had said on the campaign trail and has been saying for the past 50 years and as we've discussed i think in a different conversation all the stuff that europe did like 50 or 60 years ago mm-hmm. it's like it's not really much of a revolution um it it's just more like uh you know first world first world modern countries choices and then the united states that does everything the opposite of that. Yeah. so <laughs> so um and in and in this book it it was quite short i think I don't know how many pages it would be. <laughs> it's but not I think 19 all it, hours. That's why I was like, how are you even close to being done with that? I was like, I listened to it all in one day. <laughs> I think I can listen to it this evening. I'll just put it on like triple speed. Um, no, <laughs> no, this one, it was uh, only four hours. So it is really short comparatively. Okay. <laughs> and it, this in, in this book, it he doesn't even really have like an argument. It's just... It, you know, just kind of outlining all of the the economic and social um, and political problems that he recognizes within the United States, and um, that sounds like it's crazy. And how we we don't, yeah, how um, we don't do anything like European countries or even like countries that have 
we would consider like second world countries that um, have a stronger social safety net. And it, you know, it just, it, it speaks in a way that's like, we must do this and we must change this. And it does give examples throughout of what, what he means mm-hmm. um, as far as like, well, in the States that did increase their minimum wage up to $15 an hour, they actually hired more people and okay. didn't do layoffs and, you know, that's that kind of thing. But too. Yeah. See, so even, even the facts being like put out, they're spoken as, as more like common knowledge, um, which I don't think is very compelling because if you're trying to reach out to people, talking to them like they already know this stuff, I don't think that's going to convince anybody. Um, so I'm not really sure what the point of this particular book was, honestly. I was talking with my dad about starting our revolution and being just like, okay, like, because like, I wanted to. I mean, I found myself. I still don't agree with basically any of his points of view, but. I found myself at least respecting and like, you know, he was humanized when I read Jeff Flake's book. Okay. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do that for someone that I profoundly disagree with, I should do that for someone who I generally agree with when it comes to like, I want to say policy because there is no whole lot of policy there, but like mm-hmm. problems, the American people would be better served if all politicians serve them first as opposed to special interest and the wealthy. Um, mm-hmm. Something that seems only fair, but I was telling my dad about this, and he said, oh, yeah, I read two chapters of that book and just put it down. Because he was like, yep, Hmm. uh uh-huh, yep, yep, heard that before, yep, I agree with you, yep, nothing here, bye. But I want want you to expand more on your views on on Bernie Sanders, because can can you explain that more, how you... sure. You agree with a lot of his points of view, but you're not really on board <laughs> at the same time. So, well, it's I guess fundamentally it's an issue of that sounds great. How are you gonna do it? That sounds mm. great. How are you gonna do it? Mm-hmm. And it's not. And I I think he inadvertently has a point in our revolution, which he may he may have the same point in the book that you're reading because it sounds like it's very similar. Just I picked one that was ridiculously long. Um, long, yeah where he talks about going to some event as a uh, member of the house when Hillary was first lady and listening to her speak about the ins and outs of her healthcare plan. And like, was this 94? I think when they put it out there and being very impressed that she knew like all the mechanics of it, but how like he kind of implies that it was needlessly complicated and almost as if she had tried to put it together to sell it specifically to the Washington establishment. Okay. Which is a fair point, I believe. But there's a balance between that, like, overwrought policy wonkishness where you're making some. It, they talk about this with Wall Street, where they make uh, financial transactions so complex and needlessly convoluted so that we just don't understand them just so they can like, you know, so there's, there's a reason for, they justify the pay, they justify, you know, experts and stuff like that. And I think there's mm-hmm. a point there, but then to go to completely the other side and just say, well, this is morally the correct thing to do. And if you don't do it, you're wrong, but not really offer any plans and how to get there. Like, 
yes, I do think getting money out of politics is a good thing, but it's very difficult, and he seems to, like, reference this all the time, but not really, like, follow through on it, which is just having him as president, let's say, wouldn't necessarily change a lot of things, because unless he gets people to agree with him, he can't do a whole lot. And the way to kind of get that to happen, unfortunately, is you know this word that I believe he probably hates, which is pragmatism, which is the art of making you know the possible possible. Really, like, like mm-hmm. let's see what we can do. And I know, uh, you know, Thomas Franks talks about this in his book, where you know Obama liked to use this term of the ship of state, where you know, it's a ocean liner; it takes a long time to turn. Mm-hmm. And it seems like. You know, as we kind of want to see as the, I guess, counter to that is, okay, let's chart a, like a course that will you know, get us there safely. It's, you know, well, I just know we're going the wrong direction and that's it. Um, you know, he has to, you know, these changes have to happen at your local government level. And that requires money. Mm-hmm. It requires a ground game. It requires all this stuff. Right. And so, like, my problem with him, I guess, this is why I don't go as far as, say, like, people that get mad for at him, I should say, for not being a lifelong Democrat, because I don't think that should matter. Like, it's whatever. Yeah. He, he doesn't owe any fealty to the party. It's that these speeches all sound great, but there's little substance there. And I don't see a lot of, like, plans on how to get from A to B. Also, just calling rich people greedy there's a lot more to it than that. There's you know, people that it's kind of like people at every level that once you get paid a certain amount, you not only think you're worth that, but more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think if he could say maybe call on people right, left, whatever to come together and say, yes, let's all agree that voting is a good thing and getting people out to the polls. And then let's also agree that, making sure that everyone has a good standard of living, which kind of seems like what everyone agrees on, but no one really seems to uh, care that much about it. Yeah. Um, so that I guess that's my convolutive way of saying that I feel like it's just rhetoric with him. Like, I, I don't doubt his sincerity, but it takes more than that to get there. And so I'm not, I guess this is where, like, I don't, quite see people being so antagonistic towards him. It's just like, yes, you're kind of a good spokesperson somewhat, but, you know, I need more. I'm left wanting more out of him constantly. Yeah. um, I'm kind of on the same page in the sense that I like – I've always liked what Bernie Sanders had to say, Mm -hmm. but I never was satisfied with the logistics of making – those ideas happen and i feel like the the changes that he proposes would require all 500 plus members of congress to be just like him a constitutional amendment to overturn citizens united that is insane as much as i agree with it right as much as we would all like that to happen yes it ain't going to (laughs) happen. And so how, you know, how can we take smaller steps to make changes possible? 
or to get in on the ground level, change things locally. And uh, you made a good point, too, about the him not being a lifelong Democrat and also just calling rich people greedy, though he, he doesn't always say that, obviously, but just quick summary. The greed of, There's a lo- yes. Yeah, <laughs> of the wealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are a lot of very wealthy Democrats. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's probably not the best way to earn the party ticket is to lump people in by class maybe he insulted a few people (laughs) and uh you know and those are people that are fine with paying their corporate taxes and who do believe that um the standard of living should be better in the united states but can't lump them in with uh with the people who don't agree with that just because of how much money they have like that kind of blanket Mm -hmm. statement probably is not going to go over well and unfortunately, there's so much money in politics. It's the people with the money that make things happen. And that's not a new thing either. It's it's no, ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous now as far as the amounts of money. But yeah, know, wealthy families have controlled you know, the levers of power since forever. In fact, that was what. Well, <laughs> albeit I believe it was Scalia, basically referenced that the founding fathers basically saw a difference between horse trading. An outright, uh, you know, corruption and bribery. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's kind of, I don't know if the founding fathers saw that, but I think that is, that's been a political reality for some time. Um, well, only, only wealthy men could vote when this country was founded. Mm-hmm. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> True. There's a, oh, <laughs> there's a documentary. It used to be on Netflix. I watched this like maybe in 2012 um, with, I don't know what's happened to him, but former Daily Show correspondent turned, like, I've heard him on, wait, wait, don't tell me other stuff, uh, Mo Rocca. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of about, he's trying to figure out, you know, voting, like, in this country, like, where it came from, the you know, the history of it. And he shows that throughout history, you know, with, obvi- with obviously the, uh, well, I don't even know if it was obvious, but... <laughs> Uh, he does say that kind of who gets the right to vote has sort of changed as uh, you know people are like well what you know, what constitutes a citizen like who does get the right to vote and it's uh-huh. pretty interesting because it's not as black and white as we might think although there is this is sure. what I was saying like obviously part it's uh, yeah there uh, I believe women were never a part of the people who got to vote and then lost that right I think it was you know, they didn't get that until. Oh, what was that? Just uh, oh, that's right. About a hundred years ago, that's. Sad. <laughs> We're coming up on a hundred, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and to your point about like you know, there being wealth, plenty of wealthy Democrats, and that's that's a good point. And in uh, again, going back to Thomas Frank's book, he talks about how the Democrats have sort of relied on. He calls them technocrats and technocracy and the expert class, who you know they believe since they have what is it uh they're well educated or you know i think this is the improper term well healed or whatever um because they've gone (laughs) to the right schools that they are the ones who should be in charge if they have money it's because they deserve it as opposed to say maybe somebody who didn't go to the right schools and just happened to work for let's say an oil company and end up being a billionaire or 
well, <laughs> I think both parties have done a pretty bad job of uh, kind of telling people that were born into immense wealth, like, hey, maybe you're not as smart as you think you are. Mm. But in, I don't think placating those wealthy people is good. But I think it is necessary, to Bernie's point, to say, hey, you've had some help along the way, even if you've gone to the best schools and you think you've you know earned your way there. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe uh, Frank brings up the point that really, and I disagree with him, I also disagree with him on, him, him on some stuff, where the poor too often get the stick, as where the rich get the carrot. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a theme of uh, you know, Bernie's platform as well. But again, I just always find myself going, okay, but, and I, and I get it, like, I don't want to see him go through some sort of crazy, like, 14,000 point plan on how he's going to get the minimum wage up. But it's one thing to just cite studies that are done by other people. And then the kind of like, when I read, not read, when I've listened to his book, I just always picture him waving his hands enthusiastic in the air in outrage. And like, yeah. this should not happen. Like, I agree, <laughs> but come on. Like, how, how are we going to make it happen, man? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at on Bernie. I've, this is what annoys me too. It's this is the same spot I was in last year, the year before, where I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I feel like I'm not getting it. Like that's why I posted that on Facebook. I'm trying to get people who like him to say, hey, what do you like about him? And like my email response has been like, here's what I have gathered from reading his book so far and listening to his speeches and stuff and following him. Why am I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Like, and not Please in the way help me. of that uh, you know, Stephen Crowder asshole, like, you know, change my mind. It's yeah. I'm going, what am I not seeing? <laughs> like, That's what you need to do, Noel, is you need to go out to a park and put on a table, like on a table, uh, a big sign that says your opinion of Bernie Sanders. Change my mind. <laughs>